We are in the book of Matthew, chapter 11. I'm going to begin reading at verse 25. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Lord Jesus, you are high and lifted up. You've exalted above all things your name and your word. And, and we pray, Lord, that uh, your word would speak to us this hour. Bless Pastor Huck as he comes. Give him a strong voice. Help him, Lord, to speak beyond even his capabilities to make it known that it comes from you and your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. We've been suffering a lot during these past months, really, this past year. And in our nation, we're a weary people. What makes you weary? What makes you tired? What refreshes you? What renews you? That's what I'd like to think about in the context of this text in Matthew chapter 11. Jesus here offers rest to the weary and to the broken. And I just ask the reporter's question, who is invited? What is offered? What is the promise? And then lastly, where is it found? Where do we find this rest? Who is Jesus inviting to taste this refreshment, this rest that he offers? And, and the promise is pretty clear. Matthew chapter 11, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I wonder if you're weary, you know, sort of dragging your footsteps through life. Every day is a chore to just wake up and do what you have to do. This invitation is for you. The context is important. Uh, Matthew puts it here. Some reject the invitation of God and the invitation of Christ with mockery. If you look back to verse 18 and 19, Jesus says, John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors. In other words, there's nothing that you can do right. Jesus is saying, no matter what we offered them, no matter how God introduces himself to these people, they'll find something to criticize, some reason to stay away. And then there's those who say they don't need God. They come to, they, they hear rather the message of Jesus with a haughty self-confidence. And that's in verse 20 and on. It says, verse 20, Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles had been done. This is his own home territory. Woe to you, Chorazon, he says. And then verse 23, and woe to you, Capernaum. Will you be exalted to heaven? You will descend to Hades if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. It'll be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. I don't need you. I don't need the Savior. I don't need you, Jesus. 
I'm fine the way I am. And then it changes. Verse 25, at that time, Jesus prays. So verses which were read, verses 25, 26, and 27 are in that setting in some way that Matthew wants us to recognize. While those who were exalted are promised judgment, on the other hand, there's this gentle rain of blessing which falls on the infants. It says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent. And it's almost in air quotes there, isn't it? Those who think they're wise and intelligent. And you have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. So not to the proud, not to the mocking, but to infants. And the word is really not small babies, but it means small children. It's those who have a childlike hunger to know the truth about God. And it's saying here that no one knows the truth about God except Jesus. No angel, no prophet ever knew the Father, but the Son does. And then there's this remarkable promise that you can pass. Only the Son knows the Father and anyone to whom the Son reveals Him. And so it's this invitation for you and for me to say, Jesus, show me the Father. Show me the truth about who God is. Take Jesus at his word. And I I really challenge you, if you're wondering, if you're not sure about Christianity or about who Jesus is, to take him up on this challenge. Reveal the Father to me. Reveal the truth about who God is. Will you please do that for me, Jesus? And Jesus will answer that prayer. That sets the context for the verses I'd like to focus on today, which is verses 28 and on. Because there's a dramatic shift now from condemnation and anger in the previous verses, now to a gentle invitation to those who are weary and heavy laden. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Is that you? Is that you who are listening today? There's two words here, weary and heavy laden. And I think it's important for us to spend some time focusing on what each word means. Because it's two groups, two different things that sort of drag us down in life. Weary, it refers to inner exhaustion from dealing with, well, the ordinary trials of life. Sometimes life is like driving on a familiar road when the sun is shining and the road is dry. You know, you just relax, you're listening to music, you hardly have to pay attention. You wake up and say, wow, I really didn't even realize I'd come this far on the road. And you come out of the car and you're rested and relaxed and refreshed. Sometimes life is like that. Other times, life is like driving in a thick fog on an icy road. And you're just tense. You know, you're gripping the steering wheel as tight as you can. And you're leaning forward to peer through the fog. Your whole body is straining And you're just glad that the trip is over. When you get out of the car, you have a headache, and you're tired, and you're weary. And life is like that very often. Life is full of trials. It's hard, and it leaves you tense and weary. Anxieties fill us. You know, you're anxious about your family, your loved ones. You're anxious about your own marriage, your job, your finances. You're anxious about your health. Fears and doubts just fill you. Sometimes they crowd into you even when you're trying to sleep. You 
you just can't escape it, and it wears you out, and you're weary. It leaves you worry. So there's this invitation to those who are weary, and then there's an invitation to, to those who are heavy laden. If you just think about those words, I think you get an idea of what it is. Heavy laden refers to burdens which have been loaded on you by others. We're being forced to carry something we're not made to carry. Going for a nice little hike on a sunny day and someone says, hey, here, you carry this backpack. So you put it on, it's just loaded. It's like it's full of bricks. And you strain and you struggle and you, your shoulders hurt and your back hurts. You're not made to carry it. It's heavy laden. In the context of Jesus' ministry, Really, this refers to the load which the Pharisees and the lawgivers put on the people. Just wheelbarrows, knapsacks, you might say, full of rules and regulations that they had to follow, which sapped not only the joy out of life, but which even sapped out the joy of knowing and following and loving God. So in Matthew chapter 23, verse 4, one of the angriest chapters, angry words from Jesus for the Pharisees. In verse 4, it says this, they, these Pharisees, tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders. That's what they do. And then he goes on to say, but they don't lift a finger to actually help them. Here you, carry this. In uh, Acts 15 is a, the, the first convocation, the first conference of the whole church. What prompted this was that the Gentiles were coming to faith in Jesus. And so the apostles had to get together and decide, now, do we want to force them to follow all these rules of the law, particularly the ceremonial law of Moses? And here's what Peter said. It's in Acts 15, verse 10. And notice the words he uses because they sort of echo the words of Jesus in our text also. He said, why place on their neck a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? It was heavy. It was heavy. You couldn't bear it, Peter's saying. So glad that the Messiah has come and that we've been freed from this yoke of the law. But it, it might not be the kind of yoke that was just borne by those who were brought up under the law of Moses. I, I think in, in our day and age, there's all kinds of rules and regulations that we feel we have to live by in order to please God or to please other people. I think we feel them burdensome. We find them very burdensome in our life. You know, here's a prayer you have to pray. Here's the words, saying you have to pray it this many times each day. If someone tells you that, it pressures you. You feel like, well, if I'm holy, I'm going to do this. Here's when you have to meet with God, and here's when you, what you have to do during those meetings. Here's the duties. Here's the good things you have to do if you want to balance your karma in life. Here's the words you can't use. Here's the words you must use to prove to everybody that you're a just and good person. We live with those pressures in life, all those rules. And so we press on like weary, heavy-laden travelers. We try to peer past the fog. We're thinking, oh, this has got to end sometime. There's got to be, well, happiness at the end of this trip. Come to me, Jesus says, all you who are weary and heavy-laden. That's what this invitation is to. Who is it for? Well, it's for all weary and heavy-laden people. And what does he promise? Well, the promise is easy. Come to me, verse 28, and I will give you rest. His promise is rest. And 
the way I read it, really, it's a rest, a refreshment now. Yes, we know there's a promised rest that awaits us in heaven, but this is something that Jesus says we can experience now as we do what he tells us to do, and I'll comment on that in a few moments. Rest. So what would give you rest? Well, we think, ah, I know what Jesus is doing. He's taking this, well, the yoke of the law off of us. He's taking all yokes off of us. You know, we don't have to do what someone else tells us to do. I'm, I'm free. It's a symbol of coming under authority. That's how it's used here. In fact, it was used that way by Peter in Acts chapter 15, and it was used that way in the Old Testament also. And so wouldn't it be great to throw off all yokes? That's what we think. That would be rest and refreshment. No one telling you what to do. No one telling you when to do it, how to pull, where to pull. No one telling you that your feelings might be misleading you. That there might be someone else who has a purpose for your life. Someone else above you and who has the right and the authority to tell you which way you should walk and what you should be pulling. Wouldn't that be freedom? It's just me. It's just myself. That's all there is. So we think that throwing off all yokes is the real sense of rest and refreshment. That's the real promise of it. But when you think about it, it's not possible to live without any yoke. All of us live under some kind of yoke, don't we? In other words, there's some authorities. There's someone telling us how to live. There's something on your shoulder and my shoulder. Government. No matter where you go, there's government telling you what to do. They tax you, whether you like it or not. There's traffic rules. There's building codes you have to obey. You live under the yoke of the government. There's your family. You're yoked to your family. The way you were brought up has influenced who you are today. I'm not saying it's determined everything, but it is certainly a profound influence on how you think and how you approach life. More than that, they have given you your DNA. You can't fight it. Girls are given two X's and men are given an X and a Y, and then the rest of the Enormous three gigabytes of information on your DNA determines so much about you and what you can do and what you can't do, what your proclivities are, what your desires are. And that just came from your parents. You're, you're yoked to it. You can't free yourself from that. You're yoked to nature. You can't free yourself from nature. No matter how much you try, you can't fly like a bird or swim like a fish. You can't escape the sun. It comes up every morning. You have to breathe the air. You have to drink the water. You're yoked to it. You can't say, I'm going to live without it, because you can't. We're all yoked in some way. There's something on all of our shoulders, and it's on our shoulders all through life. So what Jesus is saying, and listen, this is so wise, so good. If you absorb this, it'll change your life, and it'll bless you. He's so brilliant. I said that last time, and I think his insight's to those who are broken, are so, so wise that we have to apply them to our own lives and be blessed. Here's what Jesus says. The solution, the way to find rest, is not no yoke, but it's the proper yoke. To be rested in your life, if you're anxious, if you can't sleep, if you're, there's a weariness over your soul, the solution, Jesus says, is not no yoke, but the proper yoke. Check your yoke. What's directing your life? So, verse 29 and 30, Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, 
and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Take on the yoke of Jesus. You know what it means? Come under his authority. Follow his directions. Do the work he gives you to do. Go in the way that he directs you to go. And of course, we say, why would I do that? Well, Jesus actually gives an explanation. He says, for my yoke is easy. It's a word that's often translated kind, good. The word implies something which is suitable. You see, when you do something kind for somebody, it's something that fits their need. And so the word often means something that is suitable. And so some have very aptly translated it as well-fitting. For my yoke is well-fitting. Something that is designed for you and makes all your efforts fruitful. I, I saw a wonderful illustration of this in India. I was visiting this beautiful, uh, remarkable, and well-known medical facility in Vellore in India. And as I was touring it, they took me to a room where there was a guy cutting and sewing leather. I said, oh, isn't this great? I don't know why it's in a hospital, but you have a place where people repair shoes, huh? He said, no, 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 he's not repairing shoes. He's making shoes. Well, why would you make shoes in a hospital. And so they began to explain to me that this was because of the work of Dr. Brandt. Dr. Brandt was a pioneer in the treatment of leprosy. Leprosy is a, well, awful disease, but one of the things it does is it kills the nerves, especially in the extremities. So you can't feel. It deadens you to feeling any pain. And so what was happening Dr. Brandt noticed is that people would get sores, for example, on their feet. And these leprosy patients didn't know they had a sore. They didn't know they had an open break in their skin, and so it would get infected. And they would never know that the infection was getting worse and worse because they felt no pain. And soon the only remedy left for these leprosy patients was amputations. So it was common to find leprosy patients with missing limbs and so on. And so Dr. Brandt said, well, why are they getting these wounds? And he realized it was because the shoes they were wearing were chafing against the skin. It was bruising and breaking down the skin because they didn't fit well. And these leprosy patients didn't realize it because they couldn't feel any pain. You would throw off the shoe, but they didn't know that. So he said, you know what we have to do? We have to make shoes that fit their feet. So he started this shoe shop. Every patient's foot would be measured perfectly. An exact custom-made shoe would be made for every patient. And they found this remarkable recovery. You know, their feet were not getting cut and bruised and infected anymore. They were able to keep their feet and their limbs. And Dr. Brandt himself applied it to the text that we're studying today. He says, you know, when I read this text, that's what I think of. That the yoke that Jesus has for you is well-fitting. It's custom-designed for you. He knows exactly what you need, and he makes a yoke that perfectly fits you. He knows exactly how he made you. He knows your passions. He knows your gifts that he's invested in you. He knows your desires. He knows the emotions that are boiling up inside of you. He knows what would satisfy you. He knows what would give you joy. And he makes a yoke that's perfectly fitted to you. He says, my yoke is easy. My yoke is perfectly fitted. And so rest doesn't come from no yoke, because that's not really possible. 
but yoke, but rest comes rather from the proper yoke. This easy, well-fitting, custom made by our Creator Himself. So rest doesn't come from no one telling you what to do, but rest comes, friends, from Jesus directing your life. Rest doesn't come from sitting by idly. Oh man, if I had nothing to do, man, that would be restful. No, you'd be bored to death. Rest comes from putting on a yoke, something that helps you to do the work God has given you to do and finding deep satisfaction in accomplishing what you were made to do. So he gives you rest, and the rest comes by putting on his yoke. So the last question then is easy, isn't it? Where is this rest found? Ultimately, look what he says, come to me. Rest is found in Jesus. All those other things may help. They sort of relieve the stress and tension for a while, but rest for our souls comes from Jesus. And I think there's many of us that are not resting in Jesus. Why? Why would we trust Jesus to put his yoke on us? I, I, I don't think we would in and of itself. Would we? I, I think we don't want any yoke, as I said before. We would shrug our shoulders. We would kick our hind legs if we were an ox or a horse. We don't want any yoke. We don't want to pull a load that somebody else tells us to pull. We, want to, we don't want to go where someone else tells us we should go. Why would we want that at all? The Bible says that that's our nature. We don't want to be under any yoke. We rebel against authority. And friends, we don't even want to be under the yoke of the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you find yourself quarreling with this, you'll agree with what Isaiah 53 verse 6 says. It says, like sheep, we have all gone our own way. I don't want to go where anyone else tells me to go. I'm going to go my own way. So we don't like the idea of putting on even the yoke of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, it takes faith. You have to trust this invitation of Jesus, don't you? If I may, I'd like to compare it to marriage. But in a marriage, it is a husband and a wife who are yoked together, aren't they? It's two people who are joined by God so that together they're more fruitful than they could be alone. That's the purpose of them being yoked together. And so that's what Jesus is saying. He's inviting scrutiny. You see, that, that's what he says in verse 29. He says, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Isn't that amazing? He says, come learn about me. Because the more you know about me, the more likely you will be to trust me. Because he says, I'm humble and gentle in heart. It's amazing. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, declares that he's lowly. There's a gentleness and a kindness to him. So as you come to know me, you'll also come to trust me. Follow my authority. So that's the import of this text, that the Lord is saying to all of us, trust him, weary soul. Trust him. And we are weary. Sometimes it's just one more thing. You know, we're marching along and it's just one more thing and it just breaks us. A woman wrote for help to a pastor and she says, she lists all the challenges she was facing. She says, in the midst of the, all these challenges, someone I loved died, and it broke me. It broke me. just broke her. Can't go on anymore. I have no, no breath left to take the next step. That's what she was saying. And I think there's many who know exactly what that's like. 
just breaks you. One more thing. This invitation is for you. Life is full of trial and challenges. I think that's true for every human being, but it's particularly true for Christians. Apart from all the natural challenges that come, there's the enemy, the evil one. And Peter wrote and said he's like a lion roaring, prowling around to see whom he can devour. And to hear that roar in our ears fills us with fear and anxiety. And sometimes that roar comes through the mouth of people. Sometimes through the mouth of people you trust. Sometimes through the mouth of friends and it kills you. Here's what the psalmist wrote, Psalm 55, 12 and 13. For it is not an enemy who insults me. It's not necessarily Satan directly. Oh, but Satan can use tools. He says, it's not an enemy who insults me. That that I could endure. It's not a foe who rises against me. From him I could hide. Oh, but it is you, my companion and close friend. And so we're just weary. I wonder if you've ever heard yourself say, I'm ready. I just want to go to heaven now. I'm ready to go. In some ways, that's a very godly desire, isn't it? You want to go be with the Lord. Be free of all the trials of this life. Paul, of course, expressed that in Philippians 1. You can read it, verse 23 and on. He says, uh, to go and be with the Lord would be far better. But as you look at yourself, you say, but my weary soul has lost the will and the passion and the power to read the second part of that sacred text. Because Paul goes on to say, it is, yeah, far better to depart, but for your sakes, namely the work that God has given me, he says, I will remain. I am not spent, he's saying. I'm not out of breath. As long as God has work for me to do here, I'm ready. I'm ready to put on the yoke of Christ and keep pulling. But we're weary. I'm ready to go home, we say. So Jesus invites us, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And friends, it's not just something that has to go in our minds. I I think the very image of a yoke is something that we'll feel on our shoulders. And it'll fit well. And we'll say, I know I've come home. This is what I was made for. This is the work that God has given me to do. And I This is the voice of my king, my master, and it's gentle, and it's lowly, and it's loving, and I want to follow it. We'll experience the direction of the Lord in our life. The Holy Spirit will be guiding it. We'll feel the yoke of the Lord Jesus Christ on our life. And it's that experience of God being present with us for every plotting step that refreshes our souls. Not just one sermon, not just one text. But it's the continuing experience, the voice of the Lord Jesus always directing us which way to go. That's what refreshes us. Experiencing the glory of God in our lives day by day, that's what refreshes us. I I happened to be reading this account of a woman who um, climbed up a volcano in Japan. Let me just read. It's actually the end that struck me. She says they started to climb at 7 p.m., A lot of the time, the tourists had to literally be pulled by rope by the guides because the incline was so steep. I'm quoting her. They saw above them rose-colored tongues of flame and crimson smoke. When at last we reached the top, daylight 
was showing faintly in the east. So they climbed all through the night. He says, in the glory of the sun, even the great flames and crimson smoke, which at night appeared so dazzling, sank into insignificance. If anyone has the temerity to doubt the existence of a gracious, mighty God, let him stand at sunrise at the top of this volcano and behold his works. But keep listening. Then the party starts down. The way down was precarious. Sometimes we were knee-deep in ashes. We arrived at the base of the camp at 11 in the morning, the next morning. And she says she fell into bed. My face and hands were blistered from the heat and ashes. And I was sore from head to foot. But I had a vision in my soul that can never be effaced. It was the vision of the glory of God. Was she bone tired physically? Yes, of course. Was she happy and refreshed? Yes, because she had experienced something of the handiwork of God. I think the experience of God in our lives is what keeps us rested and refreshed no matter what is going on around us. What do we need? Well, we do need rest and refreshment, and we need to experience the presence of this God. We need to see His, we need to see his hand in our lives to feel the weight of His yoke on our shoulders to hear His voice behind us. And how do we do that? Well, we do that by putting on His yoke. That's what Jesus is saying. Friends, come under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's many people telling you what to do. Most of all, it's your own feelings, your own will, your own desires that are telling you what to do. Some of them may be sanctified. God may be using them to direct you, but all of them have to come under the yoke of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is this what pleases my master? Is this the direction in which Jesus wants me to go? Come under his gentle and kind authority. Direct my life, Lord. I'll do what you want. I'll go where you want. And I'll give myself to the activities and the work that you want me to give myself to. So the key to refreshment, the key to rest is experiencing the living God in your life. It's not avoiding all activity for a while. It's, it's not getting away from all responsibility. It's not even avoiding all work. But it's doing, it's doing the work for which we were created from the foundation of the world. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says that we were created in Jesus Christ to do good works which God prepared us to do from the beginning. He prepared you for work, and every yoke that you put on is fitting so that you can do the work he's called you to do. So here's the promise of our Lord, and I invite you to test it out. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Put on my yoke, Jesus says, and you will find rest for your souls. Amen.